Hi, this is Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's the conversation we love to have about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. I'm here with my sister, Debbie Shore, uh, co-founder at Share Our Strength. And we've got one of the most interesting guests uh, I could possibly imagine. We've had a lot of interesting guests, but Chef Robert Irvine uh, is not only a chef, he's an entrepreneur. He's not only an entrepreneur with food and restaurants, he's an entrepreneur in philanthropy uh, and is particularly doing some amazing, amazing work in support of our military and first responders. Uh, Many people know uh, Chef as the host of the Food Network hit restaurant, Impossible. Uh, Also the owner and founder of Fit Crunch, protein bars, uh, and a portion of everything he does funds the Robert Irvine Foundation. And we're going to get into all of that. Chef, thank you so much for taking time out from your schedule. We were just talking a moment ago about all the places you're traveling. So to be able to take a few minutes with us, we are really, really grateful. Well, you're you're very welcome. Uh, As I said uh, a second ago, we're in the same business. It's called helping people. (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly right. And uh, there's a bunch of things we want to talk about, and we're going to want to talk about your amazing philanthropy. But let's start a little bit on the, the business side, Chef, and just begin with, you know, I, I know our listeners who love food and love the intersection of food and so many issues that they care about, whether it's health, education, national security, climate change. Uh, they're, they're always interested in how somebody like you, uh, got started, where your love of food and cooking began, what some of the influences were. Uh, I'm sure you've told this story before, but I know our listeners are going to want to hear it. Where did it all begin for you, this connection to food? Well, I think food for me was really important. My mother was a terrible cook. She still is, by the way. Oh, um, that makes, that's something else we have in common. We have that in common. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> so, we didn't become chefs, but yeah, go ahead. Almost so I would cook at home. Go ahead. I would cook at home. Um, I started a, a home economics class uh, at school at 11 years old because there was 30 girls and me. And I thought there was a, an opportunity to get a girlfriend. Little did I know that I made a quiche Lorraine and girlfriends went out the window and food became my number one passion along with sport. So that's how food started for me. Um, my mother would go to work. I would uh, wave her on the bus, dressed in school uniform, then come back and drink all my dad's beer with my friends. Um, One day she called the house. I answered like an idiot, and the demise of Robert Irvine happened. Um, She uh, marched me down the uh, recruitment office of Her Majesty's Royal Navy. At 15 and a half, I became uh, part of Her Majesty's Royal Navy and a cook in the Navy. And here I am at 57 years old, so many years later, still doing the cooking piece uh, and still serving our military. And chef, was enough. it in the Navy? Was it after the Navy that uh, you realized that this is not only something that you needed to do, but were good at and really had some special gift for? I think it was in the Navy. You know, the Navy teaches you things very quickly. Um, not only how to march and, and press and, and uh, uniforms and make your beds and, and all those kind of things, but it also teaches you great leadership skills. And that's just not the Navy. That's any branch of the military across the board in the British Navy or the coalition forces. So the U.S., Germans, Italians, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I was pretty good at leading. Um, I'm not saying I was pretty good at cooking, although I'm okay. Uh, there's people out there way better than me, but what I do excel in is leading people. Um, and I, I have a knack for it. And that kind of propelled me into when I left the service, 
um, joining cruise ships, uh, joining companies. I worked with Donald Trump's casinos for four years. I worked at uh, um, Caesars for four years and had record-breaking years uh, of change, basically, changing cultures, uh, changing food styles, and, and, and almost like, I would say, a disruptor. How, how long in the military? I did a total of 14, uh, about 18 years. Wow. Okay. So really formative in terms of the leadership and everything else we're talking about. 18 years at that age, is that's a formative time. Yeah. I, I think it, it develops skills. Um, obviously, the reserve time in there too, not just active duty. But um, I think it develops skills that I use and I run my companies. We have 11 companies that run the same way as the military does with the hierarchy in silos. You know, there are, there's a food business, there's a distillery, there's the, the um, nutrition brand, the clothing brand, the technology brand, and so on and so forth. But it, but it stems the same as we would have a general, you know, and then, uh, you know, a lieutenant general. It, it's set up exactly like the military was set up for obvious reasons. Uh, you've talked a little bit about your influence on cooking. What were some of the influences on leadership? I assume uh, a lot of those came from the Navy. Uh, were there other, were there specific mentors? Were, was there, when did you realize that you had this ability to lead other uh, people and inspire them? Not just lead, but inspire. Oh, when I was a young, young kid, it just didn't come from the military. I think it started when I was, uh, I was a secret at from 11 years old to, to 15 years old, uh, going to naval bases, being in control of young people. Um, I was pretty good at it. Um, and I think it stemmed from there and just continued to the military, um, being allowed to manage people and being a young human being. Um, and I mean young because I was a, a, a child at that time or a young child, I should say, um, in charge of 30, 40 year old men. There was no, na there was no females, um, on ships at that time, uh, like there is today in the U S Navy. Uh, so it was, it was pretty, I don't know, daunting to tell a 30, 40 year old person what to do as a 16, 17 year old young man. But in the Navy, they do it because they have to do it. Um, and I'm very outspoken. I'm very direct. Um, so uh, it worked and it still works. That's the way I've never changed. Deb, I know you want to get into Restaurant Impossible, some of the influences on that. Yeah, and, and you just touched on it. I'm really interested in just hearing a little bit more about your leadership skills. I think you just said you're very direct, but I'm guessing you're a toughie, not a softie, um, just from the two minutes I've talked to you. Um, and so as it relates to your style and some of the more specifics around leadership, which I'd love to hear you talk about, I'm, I'm also guessing that that plays very uh, squarely into how you you know, work with the restaurants that, that you take on in Restaurant Impossible, what you see there as patterns of mistakes, how you, what are the common, what are the most common mistakes you see? And how do you, like, what are the key ingredients you use to turn them around? And again, I, I think it obviously connects to your very personal individual leadership style, which I'd love to hear more about. I don't think it's just, I, uh, Debbie, I don't think it's, it's just restaurants. What you see on television is restaurants, but what I do in my real world is I, I mentor Fortune 500 companies, right? So when you think of Walmart, when you think of, of you, uh, American Airlines, when you think of NBC, when you think of these 
each of these businesses have the same issues as a mom and pop restaurant, but just scalable, right? So when I talk about going into a restaurant and not knowing anything, there's a reason I choose not to know anything because then I want to prejudge a system or the people. I want to see it for myself, see how it works, see the inner workings of, of what works and what doesn't, and then say, okay, what was your original plan for the restaurant? What was your vision? And why can't you why why can't you reach that vision? And why don't you know anything about your business? And I do the same thing with with big companies because I, I write in my book, and I know we'll get to it in a second. But I write in the book, a scalable business is like a scalable restaurant. Uh, a recipe, sorry. I, I talk about lemon poppy seed recipes in this book that I wrote. It works for two and four people, but after that, the gluten stretches, it doesn't work anymore. So you have to start over and over again. When you scale something from, from you know, 150,000 to 3.5 million to, you know, 38 billion, it's, it's the same thing in a small mom and pop business. You have to understand your numbers. You have to understand the purchases, what your overheads are, what your sales prices are, and so on and so forth. Um and I think that's my leadership, especially on the restaurant side. I don't have time. I have 48 hours to fix somebody's, you know, three, 30, 50 years of, of, of wasted time. And I say wasted time because I wouldn't be there if they were doing the right things and making lots of money. And if I, if I put five dogs in a, in a pen, one dog is going to come out the male, the male alpha dog, right, or female alpha dog. You find that with groups of people. That's what we do in the military. You put a bunch of people in a room and somebody will take charge. The others will not like it, will not like it. And that's what happens with businesses. The minute you put somebody in charge that's not the owner, the rest of the workforce will fight. And and that's just human nature. But what we have to figure out is who does what well and why do they do it well and what they don't do as well. Um, I, I write this again, I'm, I'm being ahead of myself here, but I look at um, hiring double A's as opposed to A's. You know, most A's hire B's because they don't want to be shown up or they don't want to be told what to do. Well, I'm the opposite. We've been successful in business because we hire people smarter than you. And when you hire people smarter and you're able to listen and lose the ego, because it is ego that gets in the way of people in business, not the business, is egos, male and female, by the way. And, and once the ego is in the way, it's very hard to be successful because you don't listen uh, to common sense. Yeah, it, it's, it's a deadly quality. You know? <laughs> it sounds like, you know, you're, you're, I think, obviously really helpful chef at getting people to be more clear-eyed about like what's really going on in their business. But uh, we live in a world where there is a lot of wishful thinking. It comes from the best place of good intentions, but good intentions aren't enough when you're trying to make a difference in people's lives. So I will, I will tell you this in answer to what you've just asked. Clear intentions don't pay bills and they don't help people. A clear plan, and I use this analogy all the time, if I was taking Iwo Jima, I have to have a plan to take Iwo Jima step by step. And when I take the first step, I have to make sure that behind me are all the soldiers that start with me when I reach the summit of that. So that's my end goal is the summit of Iwo Jima. And then I have to work the plan backwards 
to the steps to get to that end goal. And that's achievement. And you can only achieve something in, in you know, what do they say? How do you, there's an old saying, I shouldn't probably not say it, but how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not that I would ever eat an elephant, by the way. But, but you have to take it in steps and you have to be accountable. You have to have a vision. You have to have accountability and a plan of action to get to the top of that summit. You just don't walk up it and have it, you know, and take it. There's a lot that goes on in between that. And you need a team to do that. And one of the biggest failures of those egos is they take all the credit. The leader takes the credit for the team. The team gets disgruntled. The team leaves. Everything falls apart. And that happens hugely in nonprofits. And I could name 20 of them right now. I won't because I don't think that's fair to them. Um, one of them being the biggest, one of the biggest in this country. And it's happening because a leader has a bigger ego than the actual mission. Um, instead of listening to the people and, you know, the frontline workers are where it's at, no matter whether you're in a cash register, or whether you're in a, uh, you know, uh, picking up garbage in a fuel station, in a restaurant. When, when your frontline people are telling you something, as a, as a leader and manager, you should be able to absorb that, think about that, have an open conversation and say, you know what? You bought a problem. You brought me a solution. Let's try it. Because obviously this, this way is not working. But, but again, those egos get in the way. And it happens in nonprofits. It happens in real business. Although you'll see successful businesses that allow their associates. Uh, we have 5,000 employees, 5,000. And I allow my employees to uh, have opinions because it's their life, it's their business, it's their company, as much as it is mine. But if I don't listen to them and, and listen to common sense, then who's the silly one? Yeah, see, I think I think you're putting your, your, your finger on what is so important. And, and I, I hope one of the things that distinguishes uh, our organization at Share Our Strength is exactly what you just said. When you said it, I think you said it's, it's not your business, it's all of theirs. I think, you know, Debbie and I... Uh, are founders of the organization, but it's important that the organization not have two owners. We have, we have a staff of 300 some, and I, I want everybody there to feel like an owner. I want them to, you know, have the latitude uh, to do things the way they would like to do them, even if it's different than I would do them in return for feeling a sense of ownership, because that's when you really get people to go the extra mile. And it sounds like you've certainly created that for your company. Well, you're building loyalty, right? You're building loyalty and, and a, a, a feeling of, of ownership and caring. Regard, it's not a job. It's a mission that we all share in. And there's still things to learn, you know, no matter how long you've been on the job. So uh, it, for me, you know, listening to staff, um, especially, you know, quite a bit younger than I am, you know, really always teaches me something. So, you know, I think you have to really be committed to learning and, and open and an ownership. Um, before we leave the restaurant conversation, move to the book. Just one other question, Robert. Uh, did you imagine 21 seasons with Restaurant Impossible? Or did you have a like a shorter vision of it? Or are you hoping it would go this long? Probably hoping you would. Well, it's, it's actually been 20, 23. We've been 13 and a half years. 
Um, we've got our last two episodes, one airing this week, one next week. Then I don't know what happens. It's, it's kind of exciting and scary at the same time. We've helped 360 restaurants. I've opened 28,000 restaurants. And, you know, is there something new on the horizon or, or do we continue? So for me, it's, it's I'm looking for what's the next challenge. You know, I, I just got into technology. We have the, a large distillery. We have food company. We, we have a lot of things going on. And every week something new pops up and, um, you know, one door closes, another one opens. So um, I, I'm excited that it will, I think it will continue, uh, being as it's the number one show on cable right now. Um, we'll see. But I don't, I don't worry about those things because if the viewers are watching it and they cancel it, it goes somewhere else to a different station. You know, it, it's, it, it will always continue. Uh, well, let's talk about the book. Uh does writing come naturally? I know you've done a number of books. Writing comes naturally. Does it just flow? It feels like you've got so many ideas and and opinions that it it must just pour out. I don't think I don't think I write naturally. And if you follow me on social media, you'll know that 140 characters with no punctuation and one straight word line uh, knows that that I'm not a writer. I have an amazing writer who is my um, my executive editor of my magazine. His name's Matt Hoothill. I sit and I talk to him for hours just like this um, and then voice record things. And he puts my words into into writing, uh, has done for the last 10 years. Uh, even before he became my editor, he was the editor at Muslim Fitness when I was there um, writing columns for them. Um, so he's the genius, and I mean that. Um, I can say it the way I say it, and I'm not very eloquent because I don't feel that eloquence – gets things done um he writes it so it's an easy read it's 220 pages this one um all about business and why did i change from the other five books one one was about family table one was about fitness the others are cookbooks i wanted to write a book because two thousand people a week apply for restaurant impossible five get picked and one gets done and all those businesses out there, they're not even restaurants, that I get emails from every week um, needed help. I've read many, many business books that didn't help me at all. And I mean that. I mean, it didn't. It was about somebody else's um, kind of journey, which I'm okay with. But, you know, it was kind of check this box, check that box, check this box, and you'll be successful. Well, that's never the case. And, it, and it's, it's what I call BS. It's never, there's no blueprint to success. What this book is, uh, Overcoming Impossible, is a, a, a memoir, I suppose, of my losses and my wins. And a blueprint of how not to step on the mines or in the minefield to, to avoid them and what to look for if they come your way so that you can decide, is it worth the risk or is it not worth the risk? And then I put in there a lot of studies of, of you know, the restaurants I've done on Restaurant Impossible, the businesses I've helped um, become, become very um, rich and, and successful. And they are big companies on the back of the book. I mean, you've got, you've got uh, you know, Wheels Up, you've got NBC, you've got uh, Comcast, you've got uh, uh, Walmart, you've got all these these folks that are amazing 
entrepreneurs and businesses, and, and, and I say entrepreneurs because that's how they started. They started off with one person having an idea, just like, like we do, and they persevered and they've grown and they failed, and then they've corrected the failures. And it's okay to fail, just don't fail twice at the same thing. And I think that's what this book does. It, it, the, the four pillars of this book are pretty much what I just said to you. Number one is empathetic leadership. What does that actually mean? Listening to your people, understanding your people. Number two is lose the egos, theirs and yours. Number three is, is trust. And number four is being authentic. And they're the pillars of the book. Um, it's a great read. I've had a lot of great uh, um, comments about it. That's why I wrote it. That's why I write most books. What kind of feedback are you getting in terms of people are finding this as a as a practical tool for their business? Well, I can tell you, I just got one. I will read it to you because it's kind of funny. Um, I literally just got one maybe, I don't know, three, four minutes ago, and it said this. It said, um, so my mom ordered a new book and has been reading it while she's heading to Florida for a vacation. She sent me her thoughts and wanted me to share it with you. I'm almost done reading Robert Irvine's book. We left yesterday to come to Florida. Such a great book, not just for entrepreneurs wanting to open a restaurant, though it's geared somewhat towards that, but his strategies can be used in any kind of business, large or small, that has employees, service or non-service. He's very down to earth and has learned to remain humble. Really love this book. Um, that was from somebody um, really high up in the food chain, I might add. Um, but I, but, it, but that was his mother, not him. Um, so, so, you know, I think it's got something, I believe it's good for families. I believe it's good for businesses, whether you're a mom and pop operation, a 501c3 or a fortune 500 company. And yesterday I spoke at, at special operations command, uh, with senior leaders of our special operations. And I've just sent them a case of books because they're all intrigued at the leadership part of, of that book. So I think it's, it's there for everybody, not just one, one thing. Well, that kind of comment just must just make your day. And the book we're talking about, uh, just to remind everybody, is Overcoming Impossible. Uh, sounds like almost every walk of life uh, will find uh, stuff that resonates in Overcoming Impossible. Uh, Robert, let's talk a little bit about your, your community work, which is, of course, what is you know, there's so many aspects and dimensions to you, but the community work and the work uh, supporting our military and military families is is really kind of jumped out at me. Uh, say a little bit about how you, obviously your background would have steered you in this direction, but uh, what was the spark to say, I can actually make a difference in this sector uh, by doing what I do uh, and I'm going to create a foundation and we're going to work on a set of issues uh, that include, you know, scholarships, meals, uh, mobility devices, training, service dogs. There's so many things. To do. Uh, where did it begin? And it seems like it's really taken off. And how do you measure the impact? It's actually funny because it started off with social media. It started off with Gary Sinise tweeting me and saying, is this the real Robert Irvine? Oh. I tweeted him back and I said, yes, don't you see the blue check mark? Um, he said, uh, I was going to Honduras to a special forces base called Sotokana for 4th of July to feed the troops. He was going to uh, Alaska to do a, a, um, 
a Sinise event. Uh, he said he has an idea. Um, I said, I'm in. He said, you don't know what it is. We started 15 years ago doing Invincible Spirit Festivals where I would feed eight to 10,000 uh, troops. He would put on a concert all around the country and around the world. So we started to do that. Then about uh, seven years into that, I decided I wanted to do a lot more than just feed and 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 Gary makes ha builds houses and, and things like that. Um, but I wanted to do more mental and physical health. Uh, so we started the foundation, robertirvinefoundation.org, to really focus on the mental and physical um, beings of our first responders and our men and women that wear the cloth of a nation, their families, and our, our Gold Star families and uh, Blue Star families and Medal of Honor recipients, um, and partnered with some amazing folks to really uh, look at how do we attack suicide, post-traumatic stress, um, to the point of um, you know using so many different, not only dogs and and food and 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 getaways and reunions. Um, and the Mobius devices, all those things you just mentioned, but also psychedelics at the moment, uh, which which are really interesting, which the VA and the military is, are, are actually going through uh, based on our findings and, and other people's findings, not just ours, uh, of um, how do we how do we attack those things? So the foundation for me is a labor of love. Everything that we do. Um, revenue generating a portion of that goes into our foundation to the buy the dogs to run the programs um etc etc so that is the the cornerstone of everything that i do as the foundation everything it, it's phenomenal work and one of the things i want to ask you is you know when, when i when i look at what you're doing or i think it, about what we're doing at share strength i think you know th thank goodness the robert irvine foundation is out there thank goodness share strength is feeding kids but like what's gone wrong in the system that we have to like it, like how, you know, we have what one in five military families struggle with food insecurity. We know there's a one in four, one in four. Uh, yes. Thank you. Uh, so like how, right? why should, why does it have to take a foundation to solve this problem? Like what's going on here? Like what's, what's broken in the system? Billy and Debbie, you and me. And yesterday I was singing from the rafters uh, the day before, with seven senators, with a secretary of defense, um, it is incomprehensible, and that's a very nice word for me using on a podcast, by the way, that any member of our military that serves this great country could be worried going somewhere, being deployed, that their family can't be fed or housed in a, in a safe environment is beyond my wildest dreams. The money the money that we pay these folks, and this is a national security issue right now, we can't get folks to join the military because out of those half, half, a, half a million uh, folks that are free every year to, to join, choose other businesses because housing's not correct, the salaries are not correct, the benefits are not good, um, and they all wanna serve the country, by the way, but other people are offering them better and safer um, environments for them and their families. And and to me, the government is, you know, is not standing up. That's why share our strength. That's where, where um, um, the Fisher House, that's where 
uh, taps, all these all these organizations, Robert Irvine Foundation, come into play because our government is failing. Has that changed over time, Robert, for the military? Or has it always been sort of, is this status quo? I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's been there, but never been identified because nobody's ever complained. When you join the military, it's so funny because I talked about this yesterday. You know, here we are at Special Operations Command where we, you know, the SEAL teams and the Green Berets, where we teach you, you know, to deal with being drowned and, and, and you know, all the things that you see on TV with buds and, and special operations guys. And then all of a sudden we're saying, well, if you, if you feel depressed, put your hand up after we've just trained you for 30 years not to say anything, you know, to unpack 30 years of, of stress. And that's what's happened with the military. We're, we're the younger generation is coming in, right? Our, my age, and, and people my age are leaving the service after 30 years. Younger generation are coming in. They're not having a good experience, right? And they last four years and then they leave if they last four years. And they leave because it's not what they signed up. You know, the Combat Cares Act, you know, where they took all the money away from the hospitals. We've been at, year, we, we've been at war for 18 years. And then we take the money away to take care of these folks. How can we do that? We promised soldier for life that means we take care of you for life and only two days ago you know somebody put out a tweet um and a document that says if you make over one hundred seventy thousand dollars as a veteran now um we're taking away your benefits Uh, there was an uproar obviously that was taken down revised but you know i think that's that's the problem with the feeding um, we're now starting to see that the 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 cracks in the walls or the, or the holes in the walls of people come and say, "Look, you know, I'm paid thirty six thousand dollars. I'm on deployment nine months, and my kids can't get fed. I can't keep a house and and a dog and and, and a picket fence." Um, and only a couple of months ago, I was with the MFAM, which I'm sure you guys know, um, dis- distributing food at Fort Hood to a thousand a thousand servicemen and women that couldn't feed the family. So does, does Robert Irvine need to be an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a politician? Robert Irvine, oh, I've, I've shaken the, the problem with Billy with Robert Irvine is he annoys too many people. And I always feel this, and somebody said this to me yesterday, if you're upsetting people, you're doing your job. Um, I just want to make sure that we take care of those that can't take care of themselves. And I mean that with food, I mean that with housing, I mean that with clothing, uh, whatever that means. And that's not just the military, that's across the board. Um, you know, a child has not been fed. And I know you guys do such an amazing uh, uh, job at that. And I've, I've worked with you for, for, for many years through Food Network and Discovery and, and some other folks. Um, how can that be in this country? It, it, it's, this is, you know, the American dream. But but the American dream is not what I saw when I did a show with Michelle Obama in D.C., an after-school program where kids don't get fed at home for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And how can that be? Because they don't have the money to do it. But why should kids suffer for that? I know that FitCrunch um, has a really cool challenge out, and I wanted to hear about that and um, and how you're getting people to 
to act and have a really good time at the same time, which I love. I just love when, you know, people are, are, have a, have a call to action. That's really fun. And I think this fit crunch challenge is really fun. So we, we ask, uh, every year we do this and we raise money for every crunch that is done and videoed. So I do a big fitness weekend in Miami at South beach food and wine festival. I have about, uh, you know, a couple of hundred, three, 400, uh, women and, and, and a few men, by the way, but mainly women. Um, and we do this weekend and we we make them do crunches and we film it. And for every crunch that's that's done counting, right, I give a dollar uh, towards uh, helping veterans uh, to match that. So if you do 400 set up, uh, 400 crunches, we put $400 and so on and so on. And we, and we run that for a period of time till we get the right amount of money. Uh, and if not, I have to do them. So uh, <laughs> to, to make the money. <laughs> I love it. So what, what, what is your, you have a, I know you have a big major fitness routine, but what can you tell us about your fitness routine and your, your nutrition eating routine? Well, the, the nutrition for me is really important. Um, my wife um, is a, you know, she's a professional wrestler or was uh, an athlete. So she eats very clean and healthy. Uh, I'm not as clean and healthy as her. I do like cheese. She doesn't. She's uh uh, but when I'm at home, she cooks. It's the best time ever because the food is amazing. When I go out on the road, it's a lot harder to eat for me, but I try and eat clean. But eh, it doesn't work as much as it does at home. Um, for working out, I work out every day. Uh, I have a trainer every day, even though I'm, I know what to do. I have a guy push me every day on the road. Um, this morning was early. Um, tomorrow it's early. So, yeah, every day. There's not a day I don't, unless I'm traveling foreign um, on a long 16-hour flight, I will work out every day. Robert, I know our time's running out. Before we close, I want to make sure that we give folks a sense, particularly people who are inspired by the work of the Robert Irvine Foundation, uh, the work you're doing with military families. What are other ways that just average people can get involved? Not everybody can start a foundation like you have. Uh, Not everybody can fund it like you have, what are some ways that people can be uh, allies and champions and supporters of your work? I think, I think any, and, and, and this is for any, any foundation, not just the Robert Irvine foundation for any foundation, you can look at the events pages of, of these foundations, see what's happening. You can volunteer. I mean, we do dinners. I just fed 5,000 people uh, at San Diego Naval Medical Center with all volunteers. I was just at Edwards Air Force Base with all volunteers um, in Hawaii, feeding two days later, feeding 2,000 Marines with volunteers. Um, it's not always about money. It does not take money to help somebody. What it takes is time, maybe opening a car door, helping somebody across the road, giving somebody a hug if they say it's okay, or just listening, you know, or, or buying food through the supermarket when you see it being pushed to the side. Um, and you can afford to buy it maybe for a child that's not been fed. There are so many ways that you can help. You can go to your local church uh, um, and, and help their feeding program. Um, you know, you could walk dogs for, for the elderly. There's so many ways. Um, you could donate cans of food to food drives every year. There are food drives all around the, the country for food banks. Um, and I'm betting you know, that the volunteers you've talked about uh, – this must be the, one of the most fulfilling feelings they have afterwards that they could possibly have. I'm sure people who volunteer for you uh, spend time on a military base or helping 
It, it changes their life, Billy. It changes, and it does mine. Every time I do something, I come back or I sit in a bar and have a beer with my guys. I said, you know what we just did? It's pretty amazing. And, and my wife always says this to me. Look, if, if all this, you know, fame and, and business went away, we would cook hamburgers on the beach and still do the same stuff. And it doesn't get old, the, the, the fulfillment of it. I know, I know I'm speaking for Debbie and myself. I have a feeling I'm speaking for you as well based on what you just said. It just doesn't get old. There's just a power to making a difference in people's lives. And, you know, at the end of the day, we need more people to do that. The whole notion that everybody has a strength to share. I mean, that's, that's a, another way of, uh, of describing what you've been so successful at, whether it's your insights into entrepreneurship or your support of the military. You have certain innate strengths that you've developed. You've shared them and it's changed the world. I think I, I'll leave you with this because I know time, but I, I think we can always do more and, the, and collectively together, and I mean together, one person, one foundation, one, one group can't do it. Uh, as much as we all wish we think we could, it's not possible. But collectively and intertwined, we can change the world. Um, you know, Jose Andres is doing it with food over there. I'm doing it with food in the military. You're doing it with kids and, 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 and lots of other things. You know, I, I just think um, everybody can be involved if they want to. And forget the, our own hardships because, you know, we've all, got, we've all got baggage. We've all got things. We've all got bills. We've all got, you know, but to escape is like a television show. Go and watch a TV show for two hours and escape your own world. Well, how about go and help somebody else for a couple of hours and have a, a, a renewed sense of your world? And it is going to take all of us. Uh, we've been talking with Robert Irvine. His new book is Overcoming Impossible. We're so grateful with you for uh, you taking the time today, especially as you're traveling uh, so uh, significantly around the country and around the world. It's really been a pleasure to have you, Robert. Thank you, guys. Keep changing the world one meal at a time, one thought at a time. Please visit adpassionandstir.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share Ad Passion and Stir with a friend and rate the show so that others can find it. Ad Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woody Whittle's team at District Productive and Johanna Weber of Pop and Awe with support from our team at Share Our Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. They include Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of individuals sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Until then, thanks so much for listening.